What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 124 of Misfits and Rejects. Before I introduce this next guest, I just want to let you know that if you have been trying to purchase a t-shirt from misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, and you've been getting an unavailable sign that is now fixed, and you can easily go purchase any shirt you want. Sorry about that. There was a glitch in the system. If you were having trouble purchasing a shirt, please head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and grab one. Really mean a lot to me if you rep the brand, the message, and and I thank you for it. In today's episode, I sat down with Julie Gonier. She is a young lady living in Yangon, Myanmar. She's actually an old friend that I met in Sweden many years ago who has been living in Myanmar now for three years. She has started a company called Lela, which is a custom dress company using some of the most beautiful fabrics I have ever seen from the people of Myanmar who manufacture them. And it's really cool. Her entrepreneurial spirit, I think, really encapsulates what Misfits and Rejects is about. You know, an expat landing in a new environment and having to make their way, having to figure out a way to make money. And a lot of people putting their time and effort into making a dream come true. She didn't know she was going to be this passionate about these making these dresses. But once you see these dresses, which I'll put the link in the bio, it's, they're just incredible. They are so beautiful and they're all custom. There's not one that is exactly like another. They are all made to fit your body perfectly. And she's just somebody who's doing something so cool in a really, I think, socially conscious way in an environmentally conscious way you got to check it out you got to get one of these dresses for yourself i think they're so beautiful could even describe them as really cute cocktail dresses or just dresses like as she says they are for their all purpose you could use them all year round they never go out of fashion they last forever and i just i can't say how cool i think these dresses are and how cool she is for doing what she's doing in such a unique environment for those of you who know anything about Myanmar, you know it's it's not the easiest place to live. You know, it's had a lot of political strife for a long time. It still is under a lot of pressure to get a lot of things in order. And she and her boyfriend are living there are doing some really cool stuff. Not just for themselves, but for the the place that they're living. You know, the environment in which they live, they care about a lot. And in next episode, you'll hear from her boyfriend and what he's doing to really help the pollution problem in Yangon. So if you're a first-time listener, please pull out your phone, hit subscribe, rate, and comment on this episode. That really helps me in the ratings on iTunes, and I sure do appreciate it. And please, when the episode's done, you got to check out Julie's dresses. They are so cool, so beautiful. Some of these fabrics take two weeks to weave. They're hand-woven, and again, just so beautiful, custom-made, and... You can check out her dresses on Instagram, which is by.lila, and that's B-Y.L-I-L-L-A. You can also reach out to her via Instagram to order your dress, which she will have custom made for you. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Julie Garnier. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. 
Today I am in Yangon with an old friend of mine. Actually, I met in Sweden many years ago at a palace party, which we'll probably talk about a little bit because we're connected by some really good friends. Um, and I was really excited to come and visit her and hear her story because she's living in Yangon. She has a really cool company that designs very unique. Actually, there's only one of a kind every time she makes addresses. And so I thought I'd bring her on and she get to share her story about what she does and how she does it. So welcome to the show, Julie Garnier. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have you. So thank you for joining us. And maybe we can just start with what you do, what, how you got here. You know, how did you come to this place and, and find Yangon to be so desirable you want to live here? Um, so we were just traveling with my boyfriend um, and we had spent a month in Thailand and then we got here to visit some of his friends um, and we just liked it so much. Um, the like All the opportunities that we saw here and all the people we met here who, for me it was amazing because I've already been in Bangkok, Hong Kong and all these like big cities in Asia where, yes, there are a lot of opportunities, but it's become more like... Um, Everything is related to work and networking, and it's not a good way to say this, but people have become kind of robots, like in most of big cities in the world. And in Yangon, people are still saying hello to you when you meet them. They are still smiling at you when you meet them, which just never happens. Like at home, for example, in Paris, you won't sit in the subway and someone smiles to you. Um, and yeah, we just liked it so much that we decided to stop traveling just for a while, um, like find a job for maybe two or three months. And then it, in the end, it's turned into three years. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's pretty crazy when you decided that this was the place you wanted to be. How did you start going about looking for jobs? Um, so we already had a few friends here. So whenever we were going out and met new people, um, they were always so curious about what we were doing here. And of course, we always said, well, we want to live here now. So we're looking for jobs. Um, and everyone was so helpful to try to like put us in contact with whoever was in the, um, like in the business we were looking for. Um, so for my boyfriend, Alex, it was really quick. Like the first people he met had a job for him. And it was almost as if they had planned it before he even got here. <laughs> Um, for me, it was a bit more difficult, but also because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so I started with having two different jobs, one in an NGO on education and one at a company um, that was doing like fashion accessories. So I was helping them on export. And you and found that on your own? Um, through, I, like, your network? Yeah, through the network. Through this to the network, but the NGO work in the education... I found because I already had heard about this guy um, before I came here who was uh, working in an NGO where they were concentrating on working children and trying to do something about that. Um, so they basically teach uh, children who are working in like tea shops, for example, um, and they have like a bus, it's called My Me, and they have a bus where they will go to these tea shops with teachers and these children who are like working um, instead of going to school, they bring school to the tea shops um, as they can't go to school. Um, and just so the audience understands, a tea shop here is uh, what a more impoverished uh, 
and way of life for people. Like tea shops are usually a common place for people to go. Yeah. Have yeah. a cup of tea. It's very cheap. And there's a lot of children who work there to help out. Yeah. Work. Unfortunately here, um, children working is like a huge thing. I don't know the numbers anymore, but a lot of children don't go to school and are working. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big problem here. And this, uh, NGO, my me, my me education, um, is trying to do something about that. I see. I'd like to jump right into what you do with your dresses mm -hmm. and like how you came up with that idea. because it is truly like so cool and so unique ladies. Like we're going to post photos for you. You can find <laughs> on Instagram, but like she will make you a custom dress with the textiles here. It'll only be made once. And the company is called, can you say it for us? It's called Lela. Lela. But that means something very specific in French and like French culture and French fashion, no? In Swedish. Swedish, I yeah. apologize. Please, can you explain um, what that is? So Lela in Swedish means small. And the idea is that it's like the small, like the little black dress. It's the little black dress, um, although they're not black. But it's the little dress that you can wear for any occasion. So you can wear them for work, for dinner, for party, for wedding, for beach, for whatever. And it's a dress you're going to keep forever. The, the dress isn't something that's like fashionable. It's a dress that's, um, how do you say in English? Um, all purpose. Yeah, it's all purpose, but it's also not in fashion. So it's never going to get out of trend. Mm. Um, it's something that you can keep for a long time. There's a, there's a word for this, but I can't find it right now. Um, And that's the idea. I don't like the, the like fashion that you'd buy something and two weeks later it's out of trend and you don't know what to do with it anymore. I want to make dresses that you can wear until you're like, I don't know, 80 years old. <laughs> Perfect. So how this idea come about? Because you, um, you didn't go to um, school for this. this no, is not, not at all. Um, I've actually never been into fashion and clothes and textiles. My mother has always been and she used to make all of our clothes when we were kids. Um, but when I got here and I saw all these amazing textiles, they were so beautiful. I just wanted to do everything with them. So I did like pillows and bags and everything with these textiles until I found one that was so beautiful that I wanted to wear it. And I tried a lot of things with, with these textiles and it was, it was never working out. The dress was never nice because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have like the experience. And after trying and trying and trying, one time I just got this, like, I just got it. Like the dress, I tried the dress and I was like, wow, it's perfect. And then I started to make more of these ones, but just for me, like just for fun. And then more and more girls were asking why I wasn't selling them. Um, and I couldn't understand because here you can go to a tailor and have things made for you. And it's not that complicated. Um... So I was kind of saying, well, just go to, go to a tailor. Why do you need me? Um, but then I realized that I had actually like acquired experience in looking for the right textiles, um, using them in the right way, how to balance them out to make the, because the textiles here are very bright and colorful and a lot of patterns. So you can wear them just like that because they're really beautiful. But if you want to be able to bring them back to, wherever you're from, Europe, uh, America, Australia, or wherever, it's good to balance them out. And that's kind of what I help the, um, like my, my customers to do. I help them to find the right balance that will look good on them and that they will feel comfortable in for forever, hopefully. <laughs> Beautiful. So it sounds like 
just through you creating and designing your own stuff, people saw what you were doing, got interested, and then that was the motivation to then yeah. maybe take it to the next level, start your own business. Yeah. How does that work here when you start your own business? I mean, do you have to like go through the, like get a business license or anything like that, or are you just kind of just doing this as a hobby project that no one really knows about here? Um, for the moment, it's kind of a hobby project. Um, and at one point, I'm going to have to get like a bi um, business license. It's a bit complicated here, and I, like, I'm starting to get the knowledge now, so I'm going to go through it soon. But yeah, in the beginning, it was really a hobby. So I, I basically just started an Instagram page because that's free. I just posted photos of these dresses on me and on my friends, and that's also free. So I wasn't taking any risk really in the beginning. Because I didn't think that would work at all. I was like, well, maybe one friend is going to want to have a dress, but that's all. Um, so, yeah, and then I started this Instagram page, and then it was like mouth to ear. That mm -hmm. More and more people, people started calling it. you, asking for orders. Yeah. Now, people who call who aren't in the country and, and want, they just need to know their specific dimensions, then you can construct a dress form fairly yeah. easily, and yeah. it works just like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, how. Like, did you come to your price point? Like, how did you decide where to start at what, what price point to start selling these at? Um, so I have a background in business, like I studied business. Um, so I knew how to like calculate price. So I did the margin cost, like how much I should sell them. And then I asked around also a little bit, like with my friends, I asked how much would you pay for this dress to be sure that the price that I had calculated wasn't too high. Um, and I, try to include the fact that some of the dresses I make, I really meet. So I, normally I meet the client. I spend like an hour with the client. Um, and then before that, I've spent a long time looking for the textiles. And then I have to spend a long time with the tailor to explain to her how to make the dress. Um, and then I meet the client again to give her the dress. So making a dress is, um, it takes some time. But the client understands that she understands that she's getting a unique dress, um, yeah, which which takes time for for me, for my tailor, for, uh, and I try to use unique materials that are hand woven, um, so these also take time. Like some of the fabrics I use take two time, two weeks to weave, so I try to always give a choice to my clients. So I show them the fabrics that are not hand woven. And then I show them the ones that are handwoven, and I always they they always have a choice between the like the different uh, the in the price range. And is this a completely viable business at this point? Are you making your entire living off of this? Um, no, I'm still a teacher in the morning, so I get a salary uh, from that. Um, but I'm planning to stop working at the school in the end of the year, or like next year, um, and try to do this full time. It's starting to get viable, um, so it of course it depends on the month. Like some month, I'm gonna sell a lot of dresses. Like before Christmas, it's crazy, mm -hmm. um, and then some month a bit less. Like when during the rainy season, no one really wants to wear beautiful dresses when it's just raining all day. But is this your first like entrepreneurial endeavor? Had you ever started a company before this this one? I've never started a company, but I had started a website a few years ago called uh, Do Good, and where I was kind of, um, it's called Repertoire in French, I don't know in English, um, but it was a website where I was giving a lot of ideas about uh, what you could do for 
the environment, what you could do for education and different organizations that were doing something and how you could help or... Uh, so I did that a few years ago and I had to stop because when I got here three years ago, basically internet was pretty bad and you don't have any Wi-Fi here. So having a website, but not having a, having any Wi-Fi or, or internet wasn't really good. And then I also found two jobs. So I couldn't really have like two jobs plus this website. So I had to stop when I got here. Um, I think what you've done is really beautiful and courageous and cool. I think it's incredible. And it's interesting. It's a common thread that I think many expats are connected through is coming to environments like this and having to use, you know, their intu intuitive, like ingenuity and just motivation to come up with something to survive, yeah. not just financially, but to keep yourself stimulated and keep yourself from going crazy. Because I know you fell in love with this place, yeah. but after three years of being here, I can imagine this place, like just I'm talking about Yangon, the city right now, because it's just like super busy, yeah. it's very polluted. Like how has that played into now your perception of this place? Um, there was a moment where I was almost going to leave because I had a job that I didn't like. Um, we had an apartment that was pretty dark and we could never really go outside. Um, like... If you want to go outside, we basically had to pay for a cab to go to some place where it was possible to sit outside. Um, and I was really missing spending time outside, walking around. And so first thing we did was we changed apartment, which is really important. We have like an outside outside space, um, and that's just so important. Um, and the other thing is I quit my job and I finally decided to do what I really wanted. So yes, I studied business, but I didn't, like, I wasn't happy working for companies. And so I quit and I started working in a school and I was, yeah, just working with children brought me so much happiness and so much energy and creativity that in the afternoons or I was finishing work at 3 p.m. So when I was getting home, it wasn't dark because it used to be I finish at 6 and 6 p.m. It's dark here all year long. So it was really tough. And now I was finishing at 3 p.m. And I had three more hours of sun. And these three more hours of sun and energy, I was, I don't know, but like my creativity just was like... Exploding. Yeah. And um, and it's thanks to that that I managed to start the dresses. Um, so I was finishing at 3 p.m. last year every day and doing this after. And... I was realizing that I wanted to spend more time on that. So I, I went part-time in the school. Mm -hmm. So now I finish at 12 at school and then I do the dresses in the afternoon. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's, it's about like um, balance. So I found my balance with having an outdoor space where I could have like my kind of garden. So I plant, um, I was like planting all these fruits and vegetables. And also I started to be able to walk to work. And that was so important. In the morning, I wake up really early and I leave around 6.30 to walk to work. And at 6.30, there are no cars in the in the streets. So I walk to work and I see the sun rise over the Shwedagon. And it's it's just magical every morning. I see the whole city waking up and the, the people doing their exercise in the morning, praying in front of the Shwedagon. And, and uh, yeah, it's like it's about finding the right balance. And it takes time when you get to a new place, which also is like busy and noisy and to find like how do you relax sometimes and 
are like busy mm-hmm. at some other times. So now how long has been has Leila been in business? I started almost a year ago. So one year and you're yeah. almost viable, you said. Yeah. What have been the biggest hurdles and hardships that you've faced starting this here, doing what you do on a daily, creating these unique dresses? Like what's the what are the hardest aspects of it? The hardest aspects is the understanding sometimes with the tailors. Um, what's difficult is that all the dresses I make are unique. So yes, there is kind of a pattern and the um, design of the dress is pretty similar from, from dress to dress, but there is always something that's changing. So it's one centimeter longer or the sleeve is longer or no sleeve or the neck is different. And explaining that every time I make a new dress means that the communication has to be perfect with, with the, the tailor. So the one who is, uh, who is suing the dress, um, and it's difficult because, yes, I've learned to speak some Myanmar language and, yes, she speaks some English. But sometimes there will be misunderstandings. Um, and also the culture here, which I like, I really like that it is like this. But, of course, when you have a business, sometimes you're like, oh, no, this is never going to work. Um, the culture here is pretty, like, zen. I don't know, but they take their time and are not in a hurry. And if I want a dress to be done by a specific date and I come to pick up the dress and she say, oh, no, it's not ready. For me, I feel like it's the end of the world because I've learned all my life. You have to be on time. You cannot be late. But here it's not really like this. So for her, it's not a problem. She will say, oh, it's okay. I'll finish it for tomorrow. And for me, I'm like, oh, my God, I need to call my client and it's going to be late. And how am I going to deal with this? But after a while, I was understanding that, that she was right. Of course, if the dress isn't ready today and it's ready tomorrow, it's not the end of the world. My client is not going to die. I'm not going to die. Everything is fine. And she's not going to stress out to like work all night to finish her, the dress. And it's something that in the beginning was really a struggle because I couldn't understand that if I write a specific date, why is it never done on the specific dates that I'm writing? Um, so now I've changed two things. I've changed how I react when something is late. And I've also changed that I write that I need it like two days before the actual date <laughs> so that I'm sure that I don't need to stress because if I come there and it's not ready, well, it's fine. I still have a few more days. <laughs> um, Beautiful. That's awesome. That's so <laughs> clever. I love it. So it sounds like you only use one tailor. Um, so I use one, but she then has a few like different tailors who are working with her mm-hmm. but i really always talk to the same one so i know for a lot of listeners out there because there's a lot of american capitalists listening <laughs> who are like well why doesn't she get like a hundred to manufacture these dresses and make a million dollars in the next year yeah i have a lot of friends asking me why <laughs> i don't do that <laughs> and how do you feel about that where does your mind go when people start saying that to you um well first of all it's not my goal And then I think that if I do that, I'm going to become too nervous and I'm going to have to put too much pressure on my tailors. And I've started to like their way of, of living here and their way of not stressing out. And if I suddenly ask my tailor, okay, from now on, I'm going to need a hundred dresses per week. She's going to go crazy. Like she's going to have a heart attack. I'm going to have a heart attack. Um, And also, I'm scared that the quality will lower if I do that. 
I'm, I don't know, I, I really like what I'm doing now and that it's small business. I see that I can grow it and I want to grow it slowly, like little by little, maybe having one more tailor after a few months and then one more tailor after a few months. But I don't want to have this like huge pressure on me that suddenly I'm paying all these salaries and what happens if one day, like exa for example, next month, what happens if I don't sell any dress? I'm not ready yet to face that stress. Um, and I don't want the, the woman I work with to face that stress. Because I know that last year, before the summer, I got a lot of orders from all these people who were going back for, su for summer. So in June, I had like 100 dresses to make in a month. And it was crazy. So I had a full-time job. I was tutoring and I had the dresses to finish. And it, yeah, it was, it was really crazy. And I remember how stressed I was, but I also remember how stressed my tailor was and how in the end of the month, I felt so bad for what I had put her through. Like she had worked like crazy to make all these dresses and I don't want to do that again. Like just seeing how she was unhappy. Um, and I didn't see it in the beginning because I was as stressed as she was. So I couldn't, my like empathy had lowered because we were so stressed both of us and i just yeah i, I just don't want that <laughs> fair enough i think slow growth is the best growth i mean you'll have you'll have a devout following and committed customers for life with, if you continue to grow the business this way because mm -hmm. quality then doesn't slip at all you know and there's there's actually one more important thing about why i don't want to grow big it's also what i like now is that i don't have to force my clients to buy a dress if they don't like something um, I don't have this thing where like money is so important that I'm going to do everything for my client to buy a dress from me. I think that today fashion has become like a big problem for the environment and consumption has also become a big problem. And I'm always in this dilemma that I'm making fashion kind of, but I don't want to do fashion because I'm seeing the problem in fashion and how people be become like addictive to buying clothes and more clothes and more and more. So I like that for the moment I can afford to like uh, respect my my values and in in terms of en environment and in terms of sustainability that I can afford to not force my clients to buy 10 dresses because I want to make money but to tell them buy one dress that you really like and that you're going to wear for your whole life um, yeah, that's also another thing. Like it's slow kind of, fashion. It's like the mission statement as well. It's going to last forever. Yeah. It's always going to be fashionable. Yeah. So you don't have to buy one. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. I think that's really cool. I'd like to take it now to like more of your upbringing. Cause I know you had an interesting upbringing with like growing up basically in Paris, but having, well, I think your mother's Swedish. Yeah. And my dad is actually half Swedish too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you do have this other foot in Sweden, yeah. which I know you love and you hold dear to your heart. So, you know, what was that like for you? And, and can you talk about a bit of your childhood? Because, yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool. You grew up in Paris. <laughs> I know everyone's going like, ooh, wow, Paris. <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up actually in the suburbs of Paris. And I went to an international school. So in the school where I went from 2 to 18, there were basically people from not all countries because there were only like 15 um, different languages spoken in the school. But... I was in a school where I had classes in French and classes in Swedish. 
So I had friends who were Swedish also when I grew up in France. At home, we were always speaking Swedish because my mom is Swedish and my dad is half French, half Swedish. What was weird was that I didn't have any friends that were 100% French. Because in the school, everyone was like half English, half French, or half Spanish, half French, or only Spanish. Um, so I grew up in France, but not in the French culture. Um, I grew up in a home with like kind of a Swedish or maybe sometimes French culture, but I don't, yeah, mm -hmm. like mostly Swedish culture. And in the school, it was more of a like kind of international culture. And in our school, you were kind of um, assigned like, okay, she's the Swede. He's the Spanish. She's the, so I wasn't French. Like I, I, for me, I was a Swede living in France. Um, and then when I, yeah, and also all the summers, all the Christmas holidays, like all the holidays, we were going to Sweden and I was always like going home to Sweden, <laughs> um, to see our grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles and everyone. And Sweden became kind of a dream, like an utopia. It was like, okay, all year long, I was like counting the days before holidays going back to Sweden and being in the nature and summer and um, so I developed this like idealistic view of Sweden and unfortunately because of that I kind of also built this view of like France being a terrible country because of course I was in school in France I was on holidays in Sweden so like the, mm -hmm. <laughs> the view of that um, Why do you think your parents put you in international school? So that I would get a choice. So basically being in an international school means that I passed my, um, my, I don't know how you call that in English, like the final exams when you're 18, when you finish high school. Mm -hmm. What's that called? It's like... Uh, We don't, I don't know, like no. yeah, finals. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, like before going to university, basically, okay. um, you pass exams. And I did those in French and in Swedish, which means... I could choose if I wanted to study in France or in Sweden. Um, and I think that's, that's what really was important for them, was to give us a choice that we are as good at French as we are at speaking Swedish. So, yeah, it, it's really like giving a choice for us to be able to choose if we want to live in France or in Sweden. And what did you choose? Where did you go to your university? I chose Sweden, but I didn't get accepted. Um, I wanted to become a doctor, so I did med school. I wasn't accepted in Sweden, but I got into med school in France. Um, so I stayed in France, but I didn't choose France. I just like got stuck there. <laughs> um, and then I did med school, and I failed med school. And then I got into a class in Sweden. And last minute, don't know why, I decided not to go to Sweden and to stay in France and study business, although I really, really, really didn't want to study business. So I stayed in France and studied business for five years, which like was of no interest for me. Five um, years of something you didn't like? Yeah. Wow. But during the five years, I was always thinking, yeah, but maybe by doing this, I can work in a hospital later as like in management, or maybe I can work for an NGO, or maybe I can still do something which is like related to human by doing a business school. Um, and that's why I tried to work in NGO when I started out. But I realized that it wasn't enough for me. Like I really needed this human 
relationships in, in my work. So that's why I become a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then now making the dresses, what I love most is that every day I meet either a client or I meet my tailor or I meet the people who are weaving the fabrics. So I, yeah, it's, um, I can't work in front of a computer, basically. <laughs> Fair enough. Neither can I, even though I do it every single day. We all make sacrifices for our dreams. But, I mean, wanting to be a... Was that a childhood dream, wanting to be a doctor? Yeah. And then not either continue to try to pursue it, you know, over overcoming the fact that you... Would you fail out or they said you're not... No, no, I failed. Uh, I failed by like... I think there are like 1,000 people taking an exam and only 100 passing it. Um, and I was number 130. So I failed by like, that's just to get into medical school though. Yeah. But that's after studying for two years. So basically you study for two years for kind of for nothing because then you're out. (laughs) I see. And so then that door is closed. Like you can't really find another way around to get to continue to pursue the medical career. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, it sounds like people are your passion. Helping yeah. is your passion. These are the, the hobbies that you kind of always had growing up. Yeah. So you're always kind of pushing to maybe develop into something like that career-wise. Yeah. And now you have this. How does that feel for you to have this business? And you just talked about the connection you have with your clients. Is that, you think, fulfilling that thing within you? It is. But then now it's... Um so last year, I, I almost stopped making the dresses because I was feeling like it wasn't really fulfilling my goal in life. Um, it was fun. Like, I was having fun making dresses. And then, like, suddenly, I realized that if I could turn this business that I have now into really a sustainable and ethical business, like 100%, where I'm sure where the fabric comes from, who wove the textiles, who is sewing them, what color they're using to dye it, uh, where the cotton comes from. If someday I can come to that point, then I'm managing to make a dress which is 100% like good for the environment, good ethically. I know that the women or men who are working on it are getting paid fairly um, I know that a knowledge that in a lot of countries have has disappeared because machines are making everything now, like the clothes you, you wear. Here, the fabrics that I use are often hand-woven by women who have a knowledge that's been like passed on from generation to generation. And this is, of course, at risk of disappearing. Um, so if I can contribute in some tiny way to this, then, like, in terms of goal of my life then that would be really yeah it would be like a dream come true and I know it will take so long before I can manage to do that but I'm already like on my way there so I think maybe it would be a waste of energy to stop that and then go start from zero on another goal I think I'm already on my way to fulfilling a goal Mm -hmm. and I think it would be interesting to really like go all the way and not give up halfway to start something else that might not work. I would agree. Um, I mean, cause I think you really tapped into something that you seem to be good at, even though you don't have necessarily the background for it. Um, you're passionate about it. I mean, and your product is super cool. I mean, everyone listening needs to check it out. It's beautiful <laughs> stuff, you know, for a listener out there who is inspired by what you're doing, maybe has, you know, a, 
idea to do the same thing, what would you tell them? Like, how can they get started? Um, I think what convinced me to start was that I wasn't taking any risk. I think there is always a way to start something without taking a risk. So maybe in the beginning you still have a job or a part-time job. You still have some kind of security so that you don't stress out every month. Um, and if you have the security and you find a way to do it, to start it part-time, um, just to try it. I, I think there is never any excuse not to try something. And yeah, I think that's probably what I would say. Just try it. Try it because you don't have anything to lose, except if your idea needs like $100,000 just to try it, then maybe that's scary. But yeah. No, it's beautifully said. <laughs> and so, Leila, yeah. your dresses, we can find them on Instagram under Leila. Uh, by dot Leila. So, B Y dot L I L L A. Great. And so that's Facebook as well. I'll have it in the show notes, but yeah. Yeah. beautiful. And then, so <laughs> if a listener wants to order a dress from you, they can do that yeah. through, and the easiest way is just to message you on Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julie, for coming on and sharing your story with us. Again, I can't say enough positive things about these dresses. They're super cool, super beautiful. She's doing awesome things with how she's conducting her business in Yangon, Myanmar, and it's something you need to check out. So be sure you go to her Instagram, which is by.lila. That's B-Y dot L-I-L-L-A. Check out her dresses. Reach out to her. Get one for yourself. They're worth it. They're beautiful. And I think everyone who sees them is going to really like them. Thank you again for listening. Please pull out your phone. If you're a first-time listener, hit the subscribe button. Please rate and comment on this episode if you like what you heard, if you like the Misfits and Rejects message. Again, I apologize if you haven't been able to buy a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. You can now go to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop. It should be effortless. It should be easy. If it's not, please reach out. But I think I fixed everything that was hindering those who wanted to buy a shirt. Now you can easily go get one for yourself. And it sure would mean the world to me. So please be sure to head over there to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and get yourself a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt or tank. Thank you again. I think you all are so very beautiful. Keep striving to design that lifestyle that you've always wanted. And I hope you keep getting inspired by all these people who are out there doing it, mixing up, swinging the bat, and trying to live that life that they've always dreamed. And I'll see you in the next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.